Come on. Good morning. How are we doing today? You guys have your Bibles? You're going to need them. Okay. First, no, not first Timothy. Second Timothy chapter one, verses eight through 12. Uh, Second Timothy chapter one, uh, verses eight through 12. We're looking at a message entitled Unashamed. Uh, it has been a little while since we have been in Second uh, Timothy. Uh, we had a, a couple interruptions on a, some Sundays, Mike Pompeo last week, and some different things going on. Uh, however, I'm excited. We only did one study in this newer series uh, of Second Timothy. Um, if you can remember from a few weeks ago, uh, the title of the whole series is Keep On, okay? Keep On. And this was Paul's message to Timothy. And uh, we're going to read in a moment, and we're just going to be looking at verses 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12 in chapter 1. So if you're taking notes, you're going to want to write this down on the screen uh, up at the top. And then in your Bibles, you're going to want to turn to 2 Timothy. Okay, a little hint for you if you do not know, all the T's are together in the Bible. So if you open up your Bibles and you go to the New Testament, if you find one T book, then you found the rest. Okay, Thessalonians, Titus, Timothy, they're all bunched together. And we're going to be in 2 Timothy today. And so it's been a little while, as I mentioned, but... A few weeks ago, we looked at the first seven verses, and I just want to kind of remind you so we're up, all, uh, um, up to speed on the same thing before we dive into our verses today. Uh, this is Paul writing to Timothy. Uh, if you can remember, Paul, this is Paul's last letter. Uh, Paul is actually uh, in prison awaiting his death sentence. He writes in 2 Timothy to Timothy. He says, hey, look, I'm I'm going. God's taken me out. It's time for me to go home. But his message in these four chapters that we're looking at uh, is the same message, and it's keep on going. Hold fast. Fight the good fight of faith. And last week, we looked at, uh, not last week, a few weeks ago when we were in 2 Timothy and we started the series, uh, back in verses 1 through 7, we talked about how Timothy had this genuine faith how his mom and his grandma had faith and, and it had been passed down, but he made the choice to also follow Jesus. And we talked about how that faith, our faith, is to go from faith to fire. And if you look back at verse seven, uh, it talks about how God has not given us the spirit of fear, but a power, love, and sound mind. And so uh, we're basically going to continue on and dive back into where we left off. So let's read our text for today, 2 Timothy chapter one, from verses eight through 12. You guys have your Bibles open? Okay, remember, as we go through this, you're gonna want your Bible on one knee, okay, on one side of your lap, and your notes on the other. You can also, you know, if you don't have a notebook, then you can use part of the Bible, right, as your notebook to be able to write on. But keep your Bibles open the whole time, because I'm going to reference back. I'm like, hey, look at verse 9, and you don't want to have to try to find Timothy again. Does that make sense? All right, let's read together, and then we're going to ask God that he would bless today's message. Sound good? Sound good? Yeah. All right, look at verse 8 with me. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, 
who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Verse 10, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I, Paul, was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles, those who didn't believe in God. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day." God in heaven, we come before you this morning, and as we dive back into this series, we dive back into this book of the Bible, we're excited because we know that you're going to speak to us. And as we look at this important topic of being unashamed for the gospel, Lord, it's so relevant. Lord, our culture, our world wants us as Christians to be ashamed in what we believe. Lord, but we pray that you would give us courage. We pray that you would give us boldness. And as we approach your word and we look at this ancient letter that is so relevant for us today, as Paul pours out his heart to Timothy, his desire for Timothy to be unashamed, Lord, we pray that we would catch that vision as well. And in Jesus' name we pray. We all said? Amen. Amen. So, Paul comes here in starting in verse eight, and there is a word that he opens up with. Look at your Bibles. Look at verse eight. Told you I was going to make you look back at your Bibles. He says, therefore, he says, therefore, which means he's connecting the previous statement. And he just got done in verse seven, talking about fear. Look at, look at your Bibles. Now look at the verse above it. Verse seven, he says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And so he's beca- he says, because of that, because God has not given us this attitude, this spirit of fear, we don't need to be afraid because he's given us power, ability, he's given us love, attitude, and he's given us a sound mind, the ability to think clearly and have self-control. God, uh, God says right here through the apostle Paul, therefore, verse eight, do not be ashamed. Everyone say, do not be ashamed. You said it so, so like, do not be ashamed. Do not be ashamed. Listen, there is, there is this clear boldness in this idea of being unashamed. Everyone say unashamed. unashamed. That you and I should be unashamed for what we believe. Yet there's this tendency because of fear for us to shy back and be ashamed of Jesus and what he has given to us. You see, he's connecting two things, and I want you to write them down, fear and shame. Right here, the apostle Paul is connecting fear and shame because what fear does, it gives into shame. That we might all experience shame in different ways, but when we are fearful, then we become ashamed. And you guys know what this word ashamed means, right? Uh, This word ashamed means this. It is to have feelings of shame, obviously, guilt, embarrassment, to have remorse dictate how you live your life. That when you allow shame to dictate how you live, then you are living ashamed, 
right? It is impactful because of maybe guilt or embarrassment. And you guys know this feeling, right? Have you ever been ashamed of someone? All of us have been, right? Whether it was even today, it might have happened. Or maybe your parents and your siblings, right? They come and they drop you off the junior high room, or they at least try to, right? And then at the bottom of their stairs, you're like, mom, no, I, I got it. Like, I'll, I'll go to class. Like, you go, go take them. I don't, no, I'm good, right? You were, you had this feeling of you didn't want to get caught with your parents. Now, not all of you, but I was in junior high once, okay? And I see you. I see when your mom comes up, you're just, you just try to go and, and I'm talking to your mom and you're like on the other side of the room, right? Because there's that, there's that feeling of you don't want to be embarrassed, right? That's, that's normally uh, one of the main things that can cause this idea of shame. But one of, something else that can cause a shame, right, is the fear of backlash. That, that maybe it was at school and, and, and someone asked you your opinion of something. And rather than giving them the truth of what you actually believe, you sugarcoated it. You made it, you made it taste better. And it wasn't, it wasn't because you were trying to love and, and that kind of thing. But it was because you, you didn't want them to really know where you stood, and there is this fear of, of backlash, or backlash or persecution in some way. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You know, I, I remember, uh, it was really messed up, but I remember in elementary school, and maybe some of you can relate, uh, okay, and I'm a sinner, okay? I, and I know I'm a sinner, and God, I'm still a work in progress. But when I was in elementary school, I remember when I was younger, I had a friend. And uh, we, were, we were good friends in the younger grades, Right? But then, and I'm just going to be honest, like as we got older, our personalities began to change and he became just a little bit odd. Okay. You guys know what I'm talking about. And just our, the way that I saw things and the way that he saw things just didn't, didn't match up. And, uh, you know, people at school, you know, didn't really like this person, but he was my friend. But I remember at times feeling embarrassed and feeling this shame because I was friends with him. And so I would then act ashamed by acting like I didn't know him. It's messed up. It was wrong. Maybe that's something that you've done to someone. Maybe that's something that someone has done to you. Maybe you've experienced that. Maybe because of something about you that someone else was ashamed to be connected. That's the opposite of Jesus. And that's the opposite of how he desires us. But sometimes we can take that, that feeling of shame and we can live our life of being ashamed of Jesus. And this is why the Bible in multiple places says, don't be ashamed. This is why the apostle Paul says, look, you don't have to live in fear. You can live with boldness and confidence. He says, do not be ashamed. Notice though, he says, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Who do you think he's talking about there? No, testimony of our Lord. So he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about the witness of Jesus, okay? And then he also says, notice, don't be ashamed of me. Look, he says, or nor of me, his prisoner. Not that Jesus imprisoned Paul, but Paul is in prison because he was following Jesus, okay? So number one, I want you to write this down. The first point that we have today is this, what we shouldn't be ashamed of what we shouldn't be ashamed of. You should be writing this down. Point number one, okay? Verse eight. What we find in verse eight, Paul gives the description here of what he doesn't want Timothy to be ashamed of. Okay, in this portion, he's not referring to, to 
um, you know, a, a friend or, or, or a, you know, his parents. He's referring to two things, okay? What we shouldn't be ashamed of. You guys got that down? What we shouldn't be ashamed of. Verse 8. There's two things. It is the testimony of Jesus, and it is the testimony of Jesus' people, okay? What we shouldn't be ashamed of. What we shouldn't be ashamed of. Paul says it in two ways. The testimony of our Lord. Basically, it's the thing about the story of Jesus, the, the witness of Jesus that now, right, we don't, it's not that we see Jesus face to face, but we represent him. And Paul says, don't be ashamed. Do you guys remember the story in the gospels in the garden of Gethsemane when Judas brings the, the people that arrest Jesus? And do you remember at first the disciples are like, you know, let's take him on. Peter gets a little crazy, gets a sword, cuts that guy's ear off. And then Jesus is like, no, put it, Peter, you're being crazy, and puts the guy's ear back on. Amazing story. But how that ends, when they begin to arrest Jesus, the disciples, their boldness then turns to fear, and they become ashamed. And the Bible tells us that at that moment in the garden, every disciple fled, that Jesus was left alone there with his deceiver, accuser, Judas, his betrayer, and the people who arrested him. Why? Because they had this feeling of being ashamed for fear. They didn't want to be arrested. They knew what was coming for Jesus in, in that way where they, they, the religious leaders hated him, that they wanted him dead. And so because of they didn't want to be associated with Jesus, they fled, right? And that was something that all the disciples had to repent of and ask for forgiveness. But there can be the tendency for us too to be ashamed. Now, I don't think we'll have the opportunity to run away in that kind of way, but maybe we run away from what we actually believe and who we represent and in conversations with friends or conversations with family, that how much we love God, we, we kind of just are a little bit ashamed of. We, we don't want it to come out how much we really love him. Or in a conversation when you know something's against the Bible and they ask your opinion, and there's that tendency to know if I say something right now, there's going to be backlash. They're going to call me homophobic. They're going to call me a hater. They're going to call me a Christian freak. And there's going to be that tendency to shy back because of fear of embarrassment or backlash. But Paul says, don't be ashamed. But not only don't be ashamed of the testimony of Jesus, Jesus himself, but also the testimony of Jesus' people. Notice, he says, don't be ashamed of Paul, the, me, his prisoner, nor of me, his prisoner. And this can happen. This can happen when maybe at school, right, there's a, a Christian club and you have someone else from church saying, hey, you should be a part of it. But because of the feeling that you're going to be looked at different, at weird, you distance yourself from the other person that you're going to see on Wednesday and Sunday. It happens. Been doing junior high a long time. I was one of those people when I was in junior high. Because when I was in junior high, I wasn't walking with the Lord. But I still came to church Sundays and Wednesdays. But at school, I acted like a different person. And so when there was, the, was those kids from church that I would see on Sunday and Wednesday, I acted like I didn't know them. It's wrong. I was ashamed. This was before I started walk, walking with the Lord. And there can be versions of that. We can be ashamed or embarrassment of our relationship with Jesus, whether it's at class, whether it's in school, whether it's at home, and whether it's even here at church. Listen, you guys listening to me? God's speaking to some of you today. 
Because maybe some of you have been living a life ashamed of Jesus. It might be in small ways, right? It doesn't have to be these big things where the disciples ran and left Jesus alone. It might be small things. And you might be just giving into it. And maybe God will want to speak to you today to give you boldness. That some of you are ashamed of what you might look like if you're actually taking notes. Because you don't want to, I don't know, I don't know what, but I know the feeling. That maybe there's that time in worship when you're, when you're connecting with the Lord and you just, you just feel like God wants you to put up your hands or wants you to sing out loud, but you're not sure what other people are going to think. You're not sure what other people are going to think of your voice. Or, and you're thinking and you're letting your, that sense of shame and embarrassment dictate what you do and how you live. We can all be accused of that at times. I know for even me, there's times when even talking to family and friends, there can be times when I back away when I know God wants me to press forward because I don't, there's that, there's that tendency. Does that make sense? And so it can be full blown uh, to, the, to the far side where someone asks you a Christian and you say no, even though you are. But it, it can be small things even here at church that you, you don't wanna, you don't wanna act like you love God that much. You don't wanna be labeled like radical, crazy for Jesus. And so you, you play it reserved. The problem is that I, I find oftentimes we can play it reserved for so long that God is no longer able to use us because we're always just reserved. We're, we feel ashamed. How do, how do you think that made um, those students when I was in junior high feel when I ignored them? How do you think that made them feel? Not too good, right? Think about how God feels. And yes, God has feelings. I believe it grieves the spirit of God when we have this internal relationship with him, but we're ashamed to let it out. We're ashamed to act on it. It grieves him. He's not mad. He's not disappointed and upset. But I think it grieves the heart of God. And the Bible says we need to be unashamed. Romans 1.16 says this. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Notice, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And then he gives the reason. He says, because it is the power of God. It is the only thing that can change men's life. And so I'm not going to be ashamed. I'm not going to back down. It doesn't mean you need to be brash and taking your Bible and going to school in a couple weeks and hitting people with it. You sinners, you're crazy. Repent or burn. No, no. Okay, don't be insane, but be bold. Be who Jesus has called you to be no matter the consequences. And that's what he says here. He says, but share with me in the suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. He says, he says to Timothy, because Paul, he wasn't ashamed. That's why he's in prison. Paul was so unashamed of the gospel that he got arrested for it. He was so not gonna let the consequences of what other people thought determine his actions. And so the encouragement for you and I is no matter what comes, we need to be willing to endure whatever consequences, whatever kind of embarrassment might come, whatever kind of backlash might come to stand with Jesus. In verses nine through 10, we looked at what 
we shouldn't be ashamed of. But verse 9 and 10, Paul goes on and he says why we shouldn't be ashamed. He gives kind of that reason. We talked about the gospel in Romans 1.16. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the power of God. Well, similarly, when talking to Timothy, he, he says this. Notice verse 9. He says, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You see, in that moment that we have that tendency to pull back, and give in to that feeling of shame rather than walking in the power, love, and the sound mind that God's given us, that we forget, we lose light of the seriousness and the weight of what God has done for us. Notice, he says, look, this is why we don't need to be ashamed. Notice in your Bibles, verse nine, he says, he has saved us and called us into a holy calling. The idea is that we shouldn't be ashamed of Jesus because he took us from the pathway of destruction. You and I naturally, we're born into this world, we're on our way to hell. We're on a way to away, being away from God. But God, through however it's happened in your life, has stepped in, maybe it's been through your parents' influence, maybe it was here at church, maybe it was an uncle, maybe it was an aunt. Someone has shared the gospel with you and you were on your path to away from, being away from God in hell and God took you and put you on the path to heaven and put you on the path to him. He has saved us and he has called us to holiness. He has called us to a new way of life. And he says that this wasn't our works. Notice in verse nine, he says, and it wasn't according to what you did. It wasn't like God saw you and like, ooh, I really like that one. Let's take them and let's save them. No, it wasn't according to what you did, but what Jesus did. Notice it was his purpose. You guys see that word purpose in verse nine? I want you to write down that word, purpose, okay? It means it was his intention. It means it was his initiative. It is what he has purposed. And he came into our lives and he, we were lost and God found us. God saved us that we simply responded by faith, but he did all the work. He did the heavy lifting, but we get all the reward. Notice Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this. He says, for by grace you have been saved, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Hopefully a scripture you're familiar with. If you want a verse for telling someone about Jesus, this is one you're going to want to memorize, okay? Because it's the gospel. It's the gift that what Jesus did was meant to be a free gift, free gift of eternal life. And it's not what we do. It's not that we are so good and you know, we did our hair so well that God was really impressed. No, it's that God made this invitation for all. And when we respond, we respond by faith, but it's ultimately him doing the work. And this has come by Jesus. You know, it's, imagine your, your parents for your birthday, buying you a new car for when you, when you get your license. They're like, yeah, we bought you this car. You know, we'll, we'll drive it once a week just so it doesn't get old, but we're gonna keep it in the garage real nice. And uh, when you turn 16, it, it'll, it'll be yours when you get your license. And imagine them doing that for you, your dream car, 
And then you telling them, wow, I really did deserve this so much. I did so much to earn this. Thank you, parents. No, you didn't do nothing. It was a gift of grace, right? It wasn't because you were so good. It was because they loved you and they wanted to see you. Now, uh, yeah, that's another topic about parenting. But listen, God has given us his gift. It's not by what we have done. And when we reflect on that truth, the reason Paul's talking about this is because that creates in us this heart of gratitude that actually puts in us a sense of pride rather than shame, that we want to tell people about that we know Jesus. We're not ashamed of it because look what God's done for me. And it is as we reflect on the goodness and the gospel of God, what he's done for us in the person of Jesus and the finished work on the cross, that we become, rather than shameful, we become prideful in a good way, prideful in the way that the Bible describes as the word boast, that we boast in Jesus, not in ourselves, but in who he is. Notice verse 10. I just want to share this with you, that I love how Paul puts it here in verse 10. He basically sums it up and he says, look, what Jesus did is he abolished dead, death and brought life and immortality. The idea is number one, that he destroyed death that you, without Jesus, you die. You're like, wait, does that mean if I receive Jesus, I'll never die? Uh, to some extent, that's true. Jesus said to Martha in the Bible in John 11, that he who believes in me, though he may die, yet he shall live. So yes, we'll die physically, but we'll never die spiritually. We'll never be separated from God. That your last breath as a believer here is your first breath in heaven. There's no like middle ground. You're not like sleeping for a little bit. No, when you die here, you're alive and you're actually more alive because you're healed. God heals your body. You'll never die again. You'll never be sick. He's destroyed death because he died, but rose again. You see that picture of Easter morning when Jesus rose and that stone was rolled back, he basically punched death in the mouth. Okay. And took him out. KO, knocked it out. Meaning that in Christ, that death has lost, the Bible says, its grip on us. Everyone in life is fearful of death without Jesus because there is the unknown supposedly that it brings and it is supposedly the end, but we know that in Christ, it's been abolished. It's been, it's inactivated, it's inoperative, but also it's not that Jesus just destroyed death, but it's that he brought life. Notice that word immortality. Did you know you and I are immortal beings? You're like, wait, we're, are we like Avengers? Are we like, are we like Thor? Okay, the word immortal, it means incorruptible and imperishable. Meaning that you, if you have received Jesus, he makes you immortal. Yes, you might die on this earth, but you will have life forevermore. This is the idea of everlasting life, eternal life. And you might be saying, wait, I thought we were talking about being ashamed. Why are we getting into the gospel? Because it is as we understand the foundation of these things that we find the confidence that we need that in those moments that we have the tendency to be ashamed of Jesus, he brings confidence. I want you to write our third and final point, what we're looking at in verses 11 through 12. You see, to be unashamed to live the unashamed Christian life, it comes from a confidence. 
It comes from a confidence. It comes from an understanding of the gospel like we just talked about. That's why Paul inserts it. But ultimately, it comes from this incredible confidence that we can have. Look at verse 11 with me. Okay, so verse 9 and 10, he talks about the gospel. You guys got that? Yes? Okay, now look at verse 11. He kind of transitions. He says, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. Wait, so what was he appointed to do? He, God's, Paul's purpose for, that God had given him, you can note it down. It was to be a preacher, proclaimer of the gospel. It was to be an apostle, meaning he was sent directly by Jesus himself, and he was an, and he was an instructor. And he says that, this is what I am to do. And you and I also have a purpose. Now, we might not be a preacher. We might not be uh, an apostle. We might not be a teacher of the word, but we represent Jesus. And we are to give Jesus to a lost and lonely world. And why does he mention that these are his things that he's supposed to do? He mentions it because of verse 12. Okay, he says, because he was to proclaim the gospel, he ends up in prison and he's unashamed of it. Notice verse 12, he says, for this reason, I also suffer these things. He suffers being persecuted. But notice, I love this, don't, don't miss it. If you've not been paying attention at all, look at, look at verse 12. He says, nevertheless, I am not ashamed. How, think about this. Paul is in prison for sharing the gospel. He is going to die. History tells us he is decapitated by the emperor Nero of Rome at the time. Yet he can see that death sentence. You see, the world would see he lost. Look, look what Christianity ended up doing for Paul. Nothing but getting him killed. But when you have Paul's perspective, because he's writing, he's literally in prison, shackles, rats probably around his feet and smells and nasty things. And he's in prison. He's writing to Timothy as his last, like, hey, I'm, I'm leaving. This is my last exhortation to you. And he says, no regrets, no remorse. He says, if, if they let me out of here, I'll do the same thing. Because he lived a life that was unashamed for the gospel. Where does Paul get that kind of confidence? How does he do it? What's the secret sauce? The secret sauce is to be confident, okay? And, and it's to be confident in two things. I want you to note it down. What we find in verse 12 is Paul's key. How could he be in the fa- looking death in the face and say, I'm unashamed. I'm not ashamed of what, where I am and where God has taken me. It's because number one, He has confidence in who God is. Notice verse 12, the very end. He says, for I know whom I have believed. Did you guys catch that? He says, for I know whom I have believed. That there's just this this confidence that he has. He says, I know whom I have believed. He says, I know God. And I know him firsthand. You see, the knowledge that's being talked about here when he says, I know whom I have believed, it's not like, oh, he heard about it from someone else. No, Paul had this experience with the Lord that he could look back and say, I know God is good. I know God is faithful. He was confident in who God is. And secondly, he was confident in what God can do. 
Notice he says, in Am, that he says that he is persuaded that he, God, is able to keep what I have committed him to that day. Notice that word persuaded, okay? You guys still have your Bibles open? Look, persuaded, it means to be convinced, right? If I were to come and I were to convince you that Chick-fil-A is superior, yeah, all you guys popped up, you were all like this, and then we said Chick-fil-A, right? It's superior to everything else, okay? Whatever. Listen, and I were to try to persuade you to convince you, okay, you would have your own conviction, right? There is something that you're convinced of. Like, for example, right? Give me, give me some things. What are you convinced of? I'm convinced that two plus two is four. And you're never going to persuade me different, right? I'm persuaded. I'm convinced that ketchup is disgusting, okay? And should never belong on anything, okay? That it's full of sugar and you should just throw it in the trash. Hey, listen. But you understand, being convinced or persuaded is something. And Paul... Paul wasn't convinced of that, that ketchup was nasty. He was convinced. He was persuaded. Listen, he was persuaded that God was able to keep what he had committed to him. Okay, this word committed. He says, I have committed something to God and I know God is able to keep it. To commit something, it means to deposit. Have you guys ever seen your parents go to the ATM? maybe once or twice, okay, right? And they might deposit a check, deposit cash. It is to, right, at that point, when your parents have cash or a check and they put it into the ATM, they don't stay, stick around to make sure the ATM does its job. No, they leave, right? And they've entrusted, they've committed that money, trusting the bank to take care of that money, right? And you and I, in our lives as Christians, we're committing our lives to God. And we're saying, God, I'm going to live for you. And I'm trusting that it's worth it. I'm trusting that in the day that I die and see you, there's going to be benefit that I followed you, that I obeyed you, that we've committed our lives to God. And Paul says here, I'm convinced that God is able to keep what I've committed to him. You know, imagine your parents have a $200 check. They deposit in the ATM and then they never see it in their bank account what would they do? They'd call the bank. What up? Like, I, I had a check. I deposited it. Where'd it go? You guys couldn't keep it safe. You guys didn't, you guys didn't take care of it. You see, that will never happen with God. When we give God something, when we give God our lives, when we say, God, I'm going to give you today. God, I'm going to give you this hour. God, I wanted to do this, but I'm going to give you my obedience. God says, I'm going to take what you give me and I'm going to keep it. I'm going to guard it. I'm going to watch over it. First Peter Chapter one, notice verse four and five, Peter talks about, he says, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, speaking of heaven that does not fade away. He says, it's reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God. We are kept by God's power in our lives. Philippians 1.6 says this, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Meaning this, that Paul had this confidence that if God was working in his life, he was gonna see him through. Paul was confident that when he got to heaven, he wasn't gonna have regrets for serving Jesus. Rather, he was gonna have rewards. But what I want you to understand is this, that confidence always comes 
from past experience. Do you guys hear me? You might want to write this one down. Confidence always comes from past experience. At least confidence that lasts. Confidence always comes from past experience. Meaning that if you don't have experience with something, you're going to have a lower confidence level. Right? Because of people who train in athletics, okay, they're going to have a greater confidence when they get up to the competition. Right? You guys, have you guys been watching the Olympics at all? Right? There's no one that's, that's competing in the Olympics that hasn't had any experience. It's not they're like, oh, let's, uh, let's go with Joe Schmo. He's never swam before. Let's just throw him in there. Let's just, he seems like a nice guy. He's got a nice face. Let's just throw him in the swimming. No, it's people they put in there that they put their, we as America, we put our confidence in people who have past experience so that when they get up to the competition, they're going to be able to be successful. You see, Paul had these past experiences that while in prison, he was able to look back and see that God was faithful. He was able to not question the good nature of God. He wasn't questioning, why am I here? He's like, I know why I'm here. I was preaching the gospel. He was confident that God was good. He was confident that God was faithful, a keeper of promises, that God was powerful enough that if God wanted Paul out, he would get out. The question for you today is, do you have any experience with the Lord? You see, maybe you are giving in to those feelings of being ashamed and embarrassed of who you represent, which is God himself, because you don't have past experience. You don't have the confidence like Paul does to know him. You're like, how do you get experience? By experience. Following him obeying him, actually reading your Bibles, not having your pastor leaders and parents tell you a million times, but actually just deciding to do it because you want to obey God, praying, stepping out in faith. And it is by that, that you have confidence. So in that moment of competition, in the sense, in that moment of the conflict and the moment that you should stand for Jesus if you have experience knowing the goodness of God in your life, then you're going to be able to stand. So the question today is, are you persuaded? Are you convinced that God is able to keep what you give him? See, confidence only comes if you're convinced of these things. And when you have confidence in the Lord, which comes through experience with the Lord, then there's no room for that fear or embarrassment to stop you. Guys, we live in a world, I prayed it as we um, opened up today, we have a world, listen, that is going to try and make you ashamed of who you believe in. And in our culture, in America, where we're at in California, that's only going to continue. You might say, well, I'm homeschooled. You ain't gonna be homeschooled when you work. You're gonna encounter the world. You're gonna encounter people that believe differently than you, and not only, listen, that believe differently than you, but will call you names, that they will look at you as if you are immorally wrong. And the only way that you're gonna be able to stand up and be unashamed is if you have experience with Jesus. And you're either going to stand 
or you're going to fall. But my prayer for you today is that you would live unashamed. And so I want you to take a moment, okay? And you can hit the lights. Worship team, you can come on out. I want you to take a moment right now. I want you to close your eyes. You can close your Bibles. We're done for today. Close your eyes. I want you to ask the Lord and ask him genuinely and then wait for that still small voice of God. Okay, sometimes we pray and ask God things and then we move on to the next thing. So I want you to close your eyes, bow your heads and ask God this question. Is there any area of my life that I'm living ashamed of you? Another version of that question can be, God, how can I live a life unashamed? And let, let him respond to you. You're like, how, how, how do I hear him? It's going to be through your own voice. But the Holy Spirit's in you. God's in you if you're a believer. The Bible describes that as a still, small voice. So ask God, is there any area of my life that I'm ashamed of you, that I'm acting ashamed of you? I found for me, oftentimes, when I take a moment and ask God, usually, usually very quickly, there's, it's usually not this, he doesn't give me like this whole story that I write down. It's usually a word, a phrase. And so maybe as you're asking him that question, you just sense in your, in your heart, internally, like God's saying, you know, with your with your uncle. You're acting ashamed with your uncle. Or maybe it's here at church. You have the Christian shirt, you have your Bible, but you're not living unashamed. So take, take another moment. Allow God to speak to you. So now what you do with that is you confess that before him. This is how to have a relationship with him, okay? You ask him, you talk to him, you let him respond, and then you respond. You say, God, I confess that, that before you, that, that sin. I was ashamed. In this area, I've, I've been embarrassed of you. And then you ask him to help strengthen you. Say, God, help me to live unashamed. Help me to live bold. I want to have past experience with you. And you just talk to him. God, we come before you, and, and I just lift up these students to you. And Lord, you know their lives, and you know what, they're, what they go home to. You know what they encounter during the week. And I just pray those that are yours, those that are following you and, and that have the Holy Spirit in them, God, I pray that you would stir them Lord, that they would live a life unashamed. That they would just be who you want them to be. Lord, that they say they love you, would they live that way? Would it not just be something that happens in the, the depths of their heart, but would it, you begin to 
bring their, their faith out of them, that they would begin to be a light and you'd begin to use them and you'd begin to move in them and through them. And so Lord, that's our prayer this morning. We wanna live a life without shame, with confidence, for you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. Lord, help us to have that great balance of living with grace and truth. Because Jesus, that was you. When you came, you were full of grace and truth. Help us to stand for truth, but have it completely covered in the grace and love and kindness of God. And in Jesus' name we pray. And we all said, amen. amen.